Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Well, last week we wrapped up our Flourish 2020 campaign, um, asking folks to pledge financial commitment, what they can give in 2020 to the ministry and mission of Roswell Presbyterian Church. We've had a successful uh, opening to that campaign. We're about two-thirds the way there. So if you haven't had a chance to turn in your commitment, you can drop it in the offering uh, today. You can do it online. We just ask that um, when you let us know what you're going to give, it allows the leadership to really lay out the plans um, of what kind of ministry we want to do in Roswell and really around the world. So I encourage you to do that. Well, this month we are calling it Yes-vember. Right. In our lives, I think we hear so many voices that say no. I thought it would be really fun for us to look at some scripture passages that have to do with yes. God's great affirmation of us. God's great love for us. His commitment to us. And so today we're going to look at a passage from 2 Corinthians, this letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Now there are probably about, we think maybe five or six letters that were actually exchanged between Paul and the Corinthians. We only have two. We have 1 and 2 Corinthians. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians today. Let's look at chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul writes, Since I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a double favor. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to ordinary human standards? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For in him, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great passage. We ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you would speak to us this great affirmation, this, this great yes, that we might hear it for ourselves, hear it anew, Lord, and that that yes might inform our lives, that it might direct us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What are the great yes moments of your life? When your team won the game in the last minute, yes. When you ask someone to marry you and she says, yes. When you've been trying to adopt a child and you finally find a match, yes. Yes moments are often so memorable because they are so rare. Yes moments are rare. Usually our, our lives are filled up with no moments or what I like to call meh moments. No, you didn't get that job. No, I don't want to date you. No, we cannot afford that. No. But often we have eh moments. You might get the job unless we find someone better. Eh? Or 
I don't know if I want to date you. What's your annual salary? Eh? I don't think we saw anything, but we need to send you back for further tests. Eh? With yes and no, it's a definitive answer. You know, but with meh, you, you really are not sure. You're filled with doubt. You don't know. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth in a meh moment. They're wondering about their relationship, their friendship. They have questions about it. And so our passage today, I really want to look at three questions. Number one, what happened to bring them to this meh moment? How does Paul try to get them to say yes to their relationship? How can he bring them back together? And third, what does this mean for us? So what happened? What brought them to this moment? Paul writes this letter in most likely 55 AD, either in the fall or winter. You see, several years earlier, he had planted the church in Corinth with Silas and Timothy. You can read the story in Acts 18. And so Paul and Timothy and Silas, they stayed there with the the church in Corinth for about a year and a half, building friendships, getting strong, getting trained up in the faith. And then Paul is called to preach and plant churches in other cities. So he and Silas and Timothy leave. They depart. And after some time, Paul sends Timothy back to check in on the Corinthians, on this great church that he helped found. And Timothy goes back, and he finds a a disaster. Theologically, they're a mess. They're a moral disaster. And so he comes back, and he reports back to Paul. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians, this letter to them. It's It's a harsh letter, trying to set them straight, to wake them up, to get them back on the path. And at the end of the letter, in chapter 16, he tells the the Corinthians, he says, you know what, I'm going to come visit you in person. I'm going to come visit you. But then you know what? Paul fails to come visit. He doesn't visit them. And he hurts their feelings. They're angry with Paul. You said you were going to come and see us. You have time to go plant all these churches and visit all these other cities, and you can't come and see your church in Corinth, your friends in Corinth. Are you really for us, Paul? Are you dependable? Is your love genuine? Has your initial yes turned into eh? And so 2 Corinthians is Paul's response to them. So how does Paul try to reconcile them, get their relationship on good ground again? How does he try to bring them back together? Well, Paul is what we might call a practical theologian. He's a practical theologian. He cares about what his beliefs of God and what he believes about God influences and informs his life. For religion for Paul is not an armchair affair. It's about real life. For many of us, we separate our religion from the rest of our lives. We may come here on Sunday mornings, but it really doesn't have much to do with the other six days of the week. I'm reminded of that great conversation on The Simpsons between Bart and his dad, Homer. And Bart asks his dad, you know, what what religion is the family? And Homer replies, you know, the one with all the well-meaning rules that don't work in real life, uh, Christianity. This is not the kind of faith that Paul has. It's not the kind of faith that he wants us to have, that he wanted the Corinthians to have. He wants their faith to inform their lives. 
A number of years ago, I was doing campus ministry. And most of the students that I worked with were fairly affluent. They came from good families. They had a comfortable background. Their lives were comfortable. And so I was trying to disrupt them some, help them look at things in a new light. And so a friend of mine, we started a, a Bible study on Wednesday nights. And we served a dinner, and then we invited guys who were living on the streets or in shelters to come. And then they would study the Bible around tables with these college students. And I told the students, I said, I don't ever want to hear you give an answer. I only want you asking questions. I want you to learn what it's like to wrestle with disease, despair, death itself. How does your theology inform you? And my friend who helped lead the class, he coined a phrase. He said, we're not doing academic theology, the kind of theology that you might do in seminary or that you'd read about in books. He says, I'm about street theology. What does it mean on the ground, in the lived experience of our lives? We're about street theology. In every one of those studies, one of the college students would come up to me. They'd always say, I don't think I'm ever going to read the Bible the same again. And I said, that's the point. Street theology. How do our beliefs about God make a difference in our lives? And so Paul is giving a theological reason about why they can hope for each other. He says, yes, I know I said I was going to come and visit you, and I'm sorry I didn't, but I am still for you. I am still for you. See, Paul sees his life set against the great backdrop of the story of God. And God's story intersects with our story on the street. He says it informs their lives. He's keeping the big story in mind. This is the heart of street theology. He says, because of who God is, you can count that I am for you. I'm for you. Just this past week, I had um, a meeting with a pastor friend of mine, and he had actually used to work at uh, Peachtree Presbyterian Church. And he served under the great uh, pastor there, Frank Harrington. And if you know stories about Frank, he was this towering figure, this, this great leader, led the Peachtree Presbyterian Church to become the largest church in the denomination. They built more Habitat for Humanity houses than any other organization in the country. Towering leader. And he had a reputation for being a tough leader. When you'd come on staff, he would say, I expect you to work hard, although you'll never work harder than me. But he was tough. And so I asked my friend, I said, I heard how tough he was. I, did you like working for him? He said, you know what? I would often disagree with Frank. Frank would disagree vehemently with me. I said, did you like him? Did you like working with him? And he said, yes. And I said, why? He said, because I always knew, I never doubted that he was for me. He was for me. It's a special trust. It's a, it's a special love where you can disagree with somebody and still count on them being for you. This is the special ingredient for, for good marriages, for successful organizations, for winning sports teams. I was listening to sports radio this past week, and they were talking about a prominent NBA player. And, there was, and we're like only two weeks into the season. You're going to expect a lot more NBA illustrations. And they're only two weeks in, and they said, this guy has already doomed the season, it seems like, because his teammates don't believe that he's for them. 
We can dis- what does it mean to disagree, to go through difficulties and tough times and still be able to count on each other that we are for each other? And Paul is saying, I am on your side. I am for you, Corinthians. Even though I let you down, I'm still for you. And did you notice he grounds it in a theological answer and a theological reason? And this is what it means for us. Notice what Paul says here. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, in him it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. All of God's promises are a yes in Jesus Christ. Now I've quoted this passage for years. I thought it sounded really good. But to be honest with you, I never really knew what it meant. And then about three years ago, I read a book by a Lutheran theologian named Robert Jensen. He wrote a book called Story and Promise. And in this book, he's making an argument about how our stories and God's story intersect. And when they intersect, they come to us as a promise. When God's story and our story come together, they come together as a promise in Jesus Christ. And his argument is so subtle, so elegant, I, it was just, it blew my mind away, and I didn't know how I'd never thought about it before. Here's his argument. We all make promises of one kind or another. We all make promises. You make promises at work. I'll send that email when I get back to my desk. You make promises to your kids. I will pick you up after school. You made a, if you're married, you made a promise when you got married. I'll be your spouse for richer, for poorer, through sickness and in health. You make this promise to each other. We all make promises. But eventually, we will let each other down. Eventually, we won't fulfill all our promises. People will let us down. We will let people down. Even the greatest promise keepers, the people that that will always want to keep their promises, eventually they won't be able to keep some of their promises. Why? Because they die. And we know that people who die cannot be held accountable for their promises because they can't keep their promises when they die. This is why when you get married, we say, until death do us part. We acknowledge that the promises end in death. And that is how it is for everyone, except one. There's only one who has died and then defeated death in resurrection, and that is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the only one that truly keeps his promises. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus because he defeated the great no of death. And therefore, his light and his life can shine into our lives. And so we can be for one another because we know God is for us in Jesus Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? When we let each other down, we can still be for one another because God is for us in Jesus. When we disagree, and we will, it's okay. We can still be for each other because we rely on Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about Roswell Presbyterian Church is that every funeral you go to, when we look death in the face, we talk about the deceased and say, this person has been promoted to the church triumphant. That's not because of anything we've done, but because we're, we're putting our faith 
on the foundation of what God has done in Jesus Christ by defeating death. And therefore, we can live courageously and hopefully. We don't need to succumb to the no's of our lives. We can be for each other. In Christ, no is not the last word. In Christ, the last word is yes. All of God's promises are yes in Jesus. That is the good news and the heart of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this good news that you are yes, that all your promises are yes in Jesus. And so we put our trust, our faith, our hope in that good news. And that enables us to be for one another, just as you are for us, and so we can be for the world. We thank you for that great hope and that great good news. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.